This is the Bartender Journey Podcast. Welcome to the Bartender Journey Podcast number 127. My name is Brian Vincent Weber. Thanks for listening. This is the podcast that talks all about bartending and cocktails and spirits. Today on the show, we're going to talk to Dan and Adam, who are building a bar called Flyover in Columbia, Missouri. Dan wrote in and told me a bit about their their project, their adventures putting together this craft cocktail bar and restaurant in a uh, relatively small town and right in the smack in the middle of America. And uh, the term flyover, if you're not familiar with it, if you're if you're not from the U.S., uh, flyover refers to the fact that uh, a lot of people will just fly over that part of the country and never actually visit it. <laughs> They'll fly from uh, New York to L.A. and back again, and uh, but never uh, never stop in the middle. So it's a relatively small town, and I was so interested to hear uh, about how craft cocktails uh, are, are, are spreading through middle America, through small towns, and uh, to hear more about their uh, their adventures uh, building this place. So we're going to talk to Dan and Adam in a, in a little bit. First, I want to tell you about a great interview I heard uh, with John Taffer on the Nerdist podcast. Mr. Taffer was on that show recently, and I uh, highly recommend that you check that out. Uh, it was uh, very important. You know, he's a smart dude and uh, very knowledgeable about the bar business. I kind of lost track of the, uh, the the bar rescue show since we uh, cut the cord here, uh, <laughs> cut the cable cord here in my house. So uh, I guess I could catch up on um, Hulu or something, whatever, whenever it's on. But uh, I kind of lost track of it and hadn't heard much from John Taffer in a while. But uh, hearing him talk on the Nerdist uh, reminded me of uh, you know how uh, how smart a guy he is. And they also talk about how uh, how real the show is, you know, how uh, uh, one of the uh, hosts of the Nerdist actually attended a taping of uh, of Bar Rescue, and uh, he, he was surprised by how how real it really is. Anyway, like I said, check out that episode of the Nerdist podcast. So our book of the week this week is going to be John Taffer's Raising the Bar. There's some great information in there about marketing and promotion, uh, length of stay, you know, getting your guests to stay longer and, and spend more money. Or in some cases, you don't want that. You want them to move on and bring new people in. Uh, he talks about uh, staffing the bar. Uh, oh, there's great stuff here about uh, the qualities he likes to look for in a bartender. Energetic, extroverted, or and conversational. Very likable, first impression. Hospitable demonstrates a great service attitude, sports-loving, uh, cooperative team player, quality-oriented, and attentive, good listening skills. So that's a good list. And uh, there's a whole long list here of sample adjectives that he looks for in, um, in staffing uh, members. And uh, there's got to be 30 or 40 words there. And uh, so anyway... This is a great book, and uh, if you go to bartenderjourney.net, you'll see a link to it along with the show notes for this show, show number 127, if you're having a hard time finding show notes for this show uh, as they get pushed down every week, and they get pushed down a notch every week. So uh, if you're listening to this uh, later in, you know, in the future uh, and, and you're looking for this, go over to the Google search bar on the right-hand side, type in 127, and that'll bring you right to it. So the Amazon links on bartenderjourney.net uh, do help out the show a little bit. They're affiliate links, and it uh, doesn't cost you any extra, but Amazon kicks back a little bit to uh, to help support the show. So, And you don't have to buy the book that I recommended necessarily. If you just click on any one of those Amazon links and buy whatever you want, uh, it will help out the show a little bit, and I'd appreciate it. There's a lot of costs associated with uh, putting this show together, so uh, your support is greatly appreciated. If also on bartenderjourney.net, you can leave a tip for the show and uh, help out the show that way. So please help keep this show going one way or another. Hey, you know what September 30th is this year? This is uh, 2015, by the way, if you're listening to this in the future. Uh, September 30th is International Podcast Day, and it's all about podcast awareness. Here's a little info about it. International Podcast Day is September 30th. 
and you can help spread the word. International Podcast Day is dedicated to promoting podcasting worldwide. You may be asking, what can I do to get involved? It's pretty simple. First, head over to internationalpodcastday.com and check the suggestions. Second, use hashtag podcast day to join in the conversation. Remember September 30th. Now, let's start the conversation. You know, a lot of people still don't know what podcasting is or they, or maybe they've heard of it and, and don't listen to them. But, uh, you know, this is a good time to uh, spread spread the awareness and, uh, you know, spread the awareness about this show if you can and uh, or other podcasts. I just recommended another podcast to you guys. And uh, if you have one that you'd like to share with, with the uh, Bartender Journey community, uh, please either email it to me and I'll read it on the show next week. Or uh, you can go to Facebook and uh, search for Bartender Journey. You can like that page and uh, start a conversation there. But, uh, yeah, I'd love to hear from you uh, either way. love to hear about podcasts that you find helpful helpful or entertaining. and uh, or, or I'd like to hear from you for whatever reason. Feel free to email me. My email address is brian at bartenderjourney.net. It's time for the cocktail of the week. We're going to do a Boulevardier today, which is uh, simply a Negroni made with rye whiskey instead of gin. I like to serve it in an old-fashioned glass with one large ice cube, and uh, preferably one that I've cut myself. And uh, so we'll use one ounce of rye. I'm using Dad's Hat rye. You may remember uh, I spoke to John Cooper from Dad's Hat um, not that long ago. He was a guest on the show. And uh, again, if you're interested, you can go find that by uh, searching using the search bar on bartenderjourney.net. So we're going to use one ounce of Campari, and we're going to use one ounce of sweet vermouth. I'm using a wonderful vermouth imported from Spain by an importing company called Fasol Shenstone. It's uh, delicious stuff. This is the Martinez Luchista Ro. I spoke recently with one of the owners of Fasol Shenstone Importing, and his name's Leif Shenstone. I think our job uh, is to make sure that bars and restaurants have those tools that are quality so you don't ever scare anyone away, and then their job is to really find a great way to get people tasting it, and that's kind of the process we're seeing that's really starting to have an impact in terms of the amount of consumers I now see who are interested in and actually going out and buying and using aromatized wines like vermouth in their home and sharing those ideas with their friends. And then we started talking about a recent New York Times article about vermouth and some of the comments that were posted on on the Times' website about about the article. If vermouth is so good, why do we not use it in any, why do we only coat the glass uh, with a bit of vermouth when we make a martini? Right. And the response was, well, because our experiences in the past have led us to believe uh, that vermouth isn't good, but those experiences have been extremely narrow and not representative of the category. And that's what I was alluding to with the story earlier, is that if you... Chardonnay went through this, actually. Um, mm. In the 1990s, there were a lot of Chardonnays released it from California. Buttery, no acid, not appropriate for Chardonnay. And a lot of people to this day, Brian, come to my house and say, they don't anything but Chardonnay. Right. And I always take out a bottle of white burgundy, <laughs> give it to them. And I've never I've never had a soul who said, I don't love that. The answer is always, this is delicious. What is that? And the answer is Chardonnay. <laughs> the answer is Chardonnay made in a way, made for a producer who cares in a right. region that makes it, that fits the grape, and bottled and imported with a lot of care because of the quality of the wine. Mm-hmm. And the same story goes for vermouth. And if you gave me... I gave that same person a bottle of Chardonnay that I had left out for two years. 
uh, it was bad to begin with. You know, let's think of, I don't want to name names. <laughs> I know, I know the bare, one you're thinking of. Let's think of barefoot <laughs> would be a good example. I don't think we'll offend anybody listening to this podcast. Um, left it out in the heat and probably left it out next to the fridge, yep. back of the fridge, which is extremely hot. Mm-hmm. Not in the fridge, but next to the fridge or next to a fan or wherever, I, whatever's up in that cupboard uh, that's above my sink where I keep things that I send to die. <laughs> and then I served that to you and I said, well, this is, the, this is wine. Do you like it? And you said, no, it's disgusting. I said, well, then you must not like wine. Right. And that was that, and you never tried any more wine for the rest of your life. That is where vermouth sits right now. So as you probably know, I'm very pro-vermouth. And I wasn't always that way because for years I just tasted the bad stuff that sat in the well and was never refrigerated. It was bad to begin with, just like we were talking about, and it just got worse as it sat out. But now that I understand it and I've tasted great vermouth, I'm a big fan. Anyway, getting back to our cocktail, the Boulevardier, we had the uh, one ounce of rye whiskey, we had the one ounce of Campari, one ounce of sweet vermouth and now what are we going to do with that we're gonna mix it up uh we're not gonna shake it but um do we want to mix that in a mixing cup or put it right in the glass or uh if you're gas you'll put it in the glass and mix it with your finger but that's a whole nother story uh i'll put a link to that uh story (laughs) some on the website in this case i had a brand new mixing glass that i got a fancy new mixing glass that i got uh for the for the cocktail lab here (laughs) at bartender journey and i wanted to use that so i i put my hand cut ice cube in my old-fashioned glass and i mixed up the uh, ingredients there in the in my fancy uh, mixing cup and strained it over the over the brand over the big ice cube. I have a wonderful video of the great Dale DeGroff making a Boulevardier, and he mixes it up in his uh, in, right in the old-fashioned glass, which is perfectly fine too, and uh, perfectly fine. I'm t- I'm saying Dale DeGroff, what he does is perfectly what he does is exactly what you should do. <laughs> I'll post that video up. I'll embed it in the uh, in the posting that goes along with this show. So anyway, back to the Boulevardier. It's a wonderful cocktail. Cheers. All right, don't forget to stay tuned to the very end of the podcast for our toast. We have a toast every week at the end of the podcast, at the very end. But right now, let's talk to Dan and Adam, who are working hard on opening Flyover in Missouri. So that's that's got to be a challenge to get uh, the small market cocktail bar thing is 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 a challenge as far as I can tell. <laughs> <laughs> no, definitely. But um, you know, it's one of those things where it feels like the time is pretty ripe. We've been yeah. taking some trips to uh, Kansas City. We're going to be going popping over to St. Louis a little more often too. And uh, in Kansas City, anyway, the cocktail scene is it's really coming up. It's cool. There's this place called Sava. It's a champagne cocktail place we went to out in Westport. It was very cool. Um, my buddy Adam just went to Manifesto, which he might be able to tell you more about. Um, and then there was a place called Julep, uh, which is a whiskey uh, whiskey cocktail bar. Um, mm-hmm. So it's kind of it's kind of neat to see that scene growing over there, really being embraced in Kansas City. That's great. And what yeah. about uh, in your town now? Are there any anything like this at all? <laughs> There's just the beginning rumblings. I, I work at a place called Tellers right now. That's um, it's got martinis and um we will do things on like monday night we'll have martini night and just to give you a perspective of you know midwestern prices we do four dollar martinis on mondays (laughs) and it's i man it's one of those things where uh you know it's me me and another guy and for like four hours we just have our heads down and are cranking these things out um lots of college kids come in for it but it's it's fun um as far as the more um 
is like a more classic craft cocktail thing that's just now starting to hit the area. And, and one thing we're trying to cultivate at our place um, will be, you know, paying more attention to things like ice, um, you know, really taking time with some ingredients, being a little more experimental. The place that I work right now, it's still mostly in that kind of vodka martini, flavored vodka martini phase. Yeah. Um, and I think that's something that's going to change in the next couple of years. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's definitely spreading from the you know from the big cities uh, out. Yeah. Just to get them to try something new is not easy. <laughs> you know, something that's kind of fascinating about this, and I think we feel it a little more predominantly because we're a college town. You get a push from a younger generation that people that seem especially excited about some, you know, just asking me to make something or really are trusting me as far as like you know doing whiskeys or rye are in their early twenties. Yeah. It's kind of a weird. You know, well, you know where I think it comes from is is the whole beer, uh, you know, resurgence of cl- the resurg- yeah. the the craft beer movement, shall we say? And you know, it's you know, it wasn't that long ago, five years ago or eight years ago, where you know, the, behind the bar you'd see Budweiser and Miller, and you know, all of, and now you know, people don't, people are not having that anymore. You know, <laughs> yeah, no, that's that's a great, yeah, that that's a that's a really good lead into it. Yeah. Hey, um. Just because I know he's going to have to go here soon. Yeah. Do you mind if I, um, I'm going to turn it over to Adam a little sure. bit? Yeah, absolutely. Hey, Adam. Hey, Brian. How are you? Great. How are you? Good, good. Good Good to talk to you. Same here. I hear you went to CIA. I did. I was uh, went to the Culinary Institute when I was, uh, I got up there when I was 19. Nice. And uh, graduated in 2003 in March. Um, I've got to do a bunch of really cool stages for people like Mario Batali and Lydia Bastianich and Thomas Keller. Kind of been all over the place, you know, in uh California and uh, Chicago and New York, Kansas City, and then before I made my way back home to Columbia. So my uh, cooking resume is kind of weird for a guy who works in the middle of the country. You know what I mean? So, yeah. <laughs> but that's good. I, I was just telling Dan I, I live up in the Hudson Valley myself, so I'm not not too far from CIA. Oh, excellent! So I'm very curious to hear how this is all uh, how how people are reacting to craft cocktails and how how it's being received in in a small town in Middle America. Well, the great thing about our town, I mean, the fact that Dan and I've lived here for so long, is we know the people and the culture about as well as we can. And the great thing about Columbia is it's a, a liberal arts town, which is kind of nice. We have uh, three hospitals, uh, three universities, uh, the University of Missouri being the largest, obviously. Um, and uh, the great thing about it is there's a good, uh, diverse mixture of people. And also we have a really great influx of like foreign exchange students with the university and, you know, grad students and all this stuff. So we have some very good um, clientele to pull off of that actually are you know, seeking things because they're, you know, coming here from the coast to go to school. Mm. And so, you know, we have a good, you know, influx of people, not just from the college, but also from professors, doctors, that kind of stuff. And even people move here frequently to live here because Columbia has actually been voted uh, one of the best towns to live in by Money Magazine for six years out of the past 10, like number one place to move and live. Um, Like this town has actually doubled in population in the past eight years. Wow. How cool. So, yeah, we went from, you know, about an 80,000 town to about 160,000 town in the last, you know, oh, that's base population. If we had students, we're over a 200,000 person town. So it's it's a small town still feeling wise, but it's pretty large. And the great part about it, we'd like to think, is that it's we're catching it at the right time for this yeah. kind of budding trend, if you will. Right. Because um, people like to go to these places in other cities and talk about it. And when they're here, 
And then they almost kind of, you know, when they're, when they talk about, it, they kind of lament the fact that <laughs> how awesome that was, but they just can't get it here. So yeah. uh, we think we're going to kind of get in the ground floor if you will, if, if of the craft cocktail movement here in um, Missouri. Excellent. So, Very cool. And the, and the cool part about it also is that in the middle of the country, we have some amazing distilleries, mm. uh, breweries, some, I mean, just uh, wine is, you know, not, that's not a tricky much, one. Yeah. But um, I mean, even in our town, we have like Dogmaster Distillery that's making some amazing clean white whiskeys and even uh, straight neutral spirits like vodka. Um, the Rieger Hotel in Kansas City um, is uh, came up with a Rieger and Sons uh, Kansas City whiskey, and they actually uh, were able to patent the term um, Kansas City whiskey uh, with the American Spirits Board by uh, when they presented it, their uh, whiskey had three percent Oloroso sherry uh, mixed in. And so they were like, well, this isn't anything like we've ever seen, so you need to come up with a term for it. Mm. So the Kansas City whiskey term was actually stamped because wow. of um, Rieger's whiskey. So it has to be anything with a minimum 1% to up to 3% of barrel-aged sherry added to the uh, finished product. Oh, cool. I want to try and, that. <laughs> and, it's, and actually, it's, it's fantastic. Tell me the and name like, again. Uh, Riegers, it's R-E-I-G-E-R-S, Riegers. Okay. And then um, they actually are working with uh, Diageo's former uh, head distiller of, from for Tanqueray. Mm. I can't remember his name, and they're actually collaborating with him to do a gin to come out in the spring. Wow. It's so cool. Yeah. It, all the small distilleries popping up all over the place. That's and, such and, a cool thing. And producing just amazing stuff like that's and at good price points to where they they you know they are able to use using cocktails and not you know break the bank if you will at the same time like you can still use really excellent craft spirits from your from our region and charge anywhere from like no more than like 10 to 12 dollars for an excellent cocktail so cool yeah it's i always say it's it's so funny to see like the big guys trying to compete now with with the small distilleries like they're coming you know like the uh you know the big brands are coming out with their you know small batch stuff exactly stuff. like you know the jack daniels the gym memes like ooh look devil's cut and ooh small batch this and we're just like it, it's still the same thing guys you just put it in a different bottle like some of them some of them are different and they yeah. are good but it's just really cool especially you know we like to think that the midwest has a lot to offer the country in this and we're kind of up and coming we are a little slow to the party if you will but um there's a lot of things that are catching up because we are you know the America's heartland and the breadbasket of the country. We have all this awesome product available to make amazing things with. Mm-hmm. And so I don't know if Dan told you the name of our concept is called flyover. Yeah. Uh, and the reason we're doing this because when we all worked on the coast, everybody calls us a flyover state. Yep. <laughs> so we're just trying to poke fun at people calling us that and, you know, you know, put it back on the map by, by poking fun at everybody's uh, opinion of us, so to speak. Very cool. So you're going to be using uh, some local spirits and some local foods, I'm sure. Yeah. Local spirits. I mean, we're actually, the way we're listing our, say our draft beer list is, you know, we only have four taps at our place because we're only a 60 seat restaurant, but um, we're listing as, you know, Columbia, Missouri is one, Kansas City, Missouri is another, Midwestern region is the third, and the fourth is what we're calling a, a, um, a, a flying in, flying in visitor. <laughs> so, you know, and so the, we're listing it by region so we can just pull it from wherever. Cause even here in town, we have six breweries that are amazing to pull from. Wow. We have two distill, we have three distilleries within, uh, 50 miles of us that do awesome gin, vodka, and, um, aged spirits. Um, so yeah. And then food wise, I mean, we have, I can't, count the number of farms that we have available to us yeah. uh within 10 miles of our town yeah. so well I, I guess i'll talk more to dan about this but uh i'm just so interested to hear about what kind of hoops you have to draw uh, jump through to open a, a yeah. new place and you know i'm sure you have investors and and uh, yeah, we, have, we have one and then we have the great thing is we have a lot of local banks who are really interested in our project because awesome. um they're diversifying their portfolios and understand that our town is great in the sense that 
everybody eats out all the time. Mm. And a lot of restaurants open, but like it, more open than close, which is the funny part. That's good. And this, this town supports all the restaurants. I mean, a perfect example is we support, I think it's a total of 14 grocery stores. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of nuts what the, how food driven the town is, which is really, you know, food and spirit driven what the town is. So that is very, you know, encouraging to us trying to open a restaurant. So great. So, so what stage are you at now? I'm, I'm just curious, you know, how, how long you're having to um, pay rent and support the place before you're well, actually the great bringing thing is we, haven't even, we, we have a lease already agreed, but we haven't signed the lease. Okay. We have right of first refusal on our space. Um, we had a, um, a meeting with our bank today, actually this morning. That's why I am in the suit. Ah. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> the, um, the great part about it is the, the we were working with a bank initially and, the loan officer we were working with moved banks and the other bank was making us jump through a whole bunch of hoops we didn't want to and wanted like 60% down payment and all this kind of crazy stuff. And so now we're working with a better bank, we like to think, and the, the proceeding with them. So we're probably anywhere from about 30 to 40 days out from starting construction. And then um, after construction is uh, beginning, we're about a 45 to anywhere from 45 to 90 day project. Uh, given you know city permitting and all that kind of fun stuff, but um, we're hoping to be, we're trying to be open by the end of the year, which is still doable. But if not, then we're going to take January as like a soft opening month, and then um, go full full guns blazing in February. Yeah, yeah, it seems overwhelming. Just your to do list must be like Santa's list. <laughs> well, the, the the funny thing about Dan and I is that I mean uh, we've been in this business for each of us probably. I mean I've been in it for almost seventeen years now, and Dan's been in it about the same roughly I'd say. And, um, this will be the fourth restaurant I've opened. Oh wow. So, I mean, I've got all these checklists and everything done already. So we're oh, good for you. We're, we're at the point where we, I've already typed an employee hiring manual and practices. <laughs> I mean, we're, we are pretty much as ready to go. <laughs> like wow. small bars, small bars order and inventory supplies are already done and counted and collated with the restaurant supply. I mean, it's, we're, we're, we're ready to go basically. That's awesome, man. That's yeah. really great. Well, man, uh, I want to hear more once you guys are open awesome. and, uh, you know, I'd love to talk to you again. Yeah. And, uh, well, actually one little thing too, is yeah. I got, you got to go to tales of the cocktail with Dan. Um, and I mean, I'm actually kind of working as a bartender right now. I'm, oh. I do predominantly chef work, um, private chef work for a company in town, but, uh, I actually work at a bar called ninth street public house, um, okay. here in Columbia. And I guess the, the only thing I like to do in a restaurant besides cook is, uh, be a bartender. Yeah. Cause it's kind of, I love to mess with things and, you know, it's, it's just kind of a lot of fun and it's given me really cool. I think a very cool insight in another aspect of the restaurant before I get one open right. so I can help, you know, understand what Dan's doing and all this stuff. And, you know, I mean, I'm not terrible at it, but I'm definitely a chef. I mean, Dan's <laughs> the, the uh, half of the bar side, but it was very cool for me going to tales of the cocktail because yeah. some of the class I got to go to, they'd be like mentioning like the chef's garden in the mint class. They're like, has anybody used the chef's garden? I'm the only one to raise my hand. <laughs> like, I was like, yeah, I know. Oh, I'm the That's only funny you mentioned that. I just yeah, made so a I drink here with uh, some stuff I picked out of my little herb garden. <laughs> yeah. And so like, yeah, the chef's garden out of Huron, Ohio, they're awesome. And you know, it just, it was just very cool. Cause I was talking to some people to be like, Oh, wait, you're not a bartender, are you? I was like, no, I'm, I'm just playing one right now. And they're like, oh, you must be a chef. I'm like, yeah, it's kind of cool to be down here and see the this all the community and the aspects of it. It was very, very cool. So, Well, it's something I've been uh, really experimenting with heavily in the last few weeks is um, using salt in cocktails. And being a chef, you'd probably then be right up your alley. I actually just did one um, using uh, sea salt, actually. at the I called it the Frederick Gray. It was um, Chopin vodka, and I made an Earl Gray and sea salt simple syrup mm. um, that it's basically a bunch of tea bags steeped with a little bit of uh, uh, 
brown sugar and you know water and everything. And then I used uh, F and cucumber vodka, the Chopin vodka, um, orange bitters, and the Earl Grey simple syrup and fresh lemon. Mm. And it was shaken and served up, and it was quite lovely. And everybody couldn't figure out what it was in the cocktail. Yeah. Like tea, I'm like, actually, what you're tasting is the sea salt. Like that's the part that makes the huge difference on it. So right, yeah, I really haven't messed with tea and cocktails so much, uh, just because I guess I'm not a big tea fan to begin with. But uh, yeah, that's that. I guess that's the next thing. I that's the next frontier well, for me. <laughs> the, part, the part I found cool about the Earl Grey was Earl Grey has the bergamot oil in it, which is the orange. And so I basically just played off of the the bergamot with the orange bitters, and it really brought this kind of like cool like earthy orange flavor out. The tea didn't really taste like tea. It tasted more like earthy orange, which is really kind of cool. Mm. So so you did that at the bar you were bartending at I now? did. I yeah. sold a, three bottles of Chopin and two bottles of F and doing it. So <laughs> How is it uh, getting people to accept new things, trying new things in your town? Believe it or not, what I found is I, if I make one and have it there and just give them a little taste of it through yeah. the night, they immediately pick it up. So right. as long as they can try it a little bit first before they do it, like – I just had one basically made and kept chilled. I mean, it wasn't the best representation. I was like, it's this is just a taste, you know, but you know, it's kind of like the chef approach. You let them try things real quick, like a little something yeah. and that makes them really excited about having it. So, yeah, yeah, that's a great, that's a great way to do it. Absolutely. And, uh, yeah, I, I, I love exposing people to new things, but, uh, you know, it's, it's sometimes it's a hard sell. I don't know. <laughs> it really is. And I found it's just like, you know, like everyone wants to try a little bit, of, try a little bit of this or a little bit of that. Like that's kind of the best way to just have, if you're trying to push their boundaries, you know, have a good representation of it for them to try, like maybe even like a half an ounce of it. And then they're going to like it. But if they do, if they chance, I've noticed that probably 90% of the time, if they try and like it, they will buy it, yeah. which is kind of, so I did one, uh, the other day when I was bartending and, uh, just, uh, that, you know, it was Sunday and there was a bunch of basil in the walk-in that was going to go to waste, you know? So I said, let me, I'm going to mix up this, uh, basil gin smash, which, uh, you may have heard me talk about if you listen to the show yeah. before. And, uh, that's York Myers recipe. And, uh, I made it oh, cool. and I made it for, uh, actually one of a couple of the servers were there. I let them try it. And I was like, this is a really good drink. And they're like, <laughs> they didn't know quite what to make of it. You know, they're like, it's basil it's, I don't I don't get it <laughs> and yeah, then, but know, then you know and, talking about what we were just talking a minute ago I added a little salt to that and it mm -hmm. really changed it and they and they they really dug it a lot more with the salt in it which I found interesting it's amazing and also like just using salt like make a salt uh, saline solution and yeah. put it in an atomizer and spray just mist the top of a drink mm. you know is all it's sometimes all you need you don't have to necessarily have it mixed in but I, I tried that with the drink the second iteration of it I just misted it on top mm. kind of would do like if just to add like a little something versus actually having it in the drink and it was a very cool way to get it on there too so yeah i keep a little sea salt uh saline solution in a dropper bottle you know yeah that, that, that's perfect yeah that works that works very well too that's awesome well brian it was excellent to talk to you Same I'm here. yeah absolutely looking forward to and talking if you're ever to you to the midwest we'll keep you up to date when we're opened up and we'd love to have you in so all right what if i'm flying over i'll, <laughs> I'll wave please, don't fly please stop so <laughs> Thank you. All right. It's cool to have a chef on board, right? Yeah, absolutely. It was fun to get his uh, kind of take on, on cocktails, you know? We were... Oh, it's yeah, it's, <laughs> it's really neat. I mean, you know, I get to play around with um, some other friends behind the bar, but he brings, you know, just like a whole different level of experience as far as being able to come up with different pairings and matchings that, you know, to us, we wouldn't get right away. But, you know, with, with his background, he'll just know that, oh, well, you know, if I add a little bit of this, it'll bring out the flavor, and and his uh, his palate's really good too. Mm. So that's kind of neat, you know, seeing what he will uh, get out of the base spirit and want to accentuate or you know complement with something. It's mm. it's pretty fun. Yeah, cool. awesome. Yeah. So I'd yeah. I'd like to hear more about uh you know the the trials and tribulations of opening a brand new place. It's got to be oh a, man, yeah, quite so, a um, quite a feat. 
Yeah. <laughs> Unlike Adam, you know, he's had the experience of, you know, opening a few places like this with other folks. Um, for me, it's it's a heck of a learning experience just going through everything. What we found, um, which isn't a big surprise, it's really a test in patience at the beginning here because, you know, we, we get all excited and we want to plan everything out. We want to start picking out our glassware and instead you've got to back up yeah. all these steps and instead, you know, find the contractor you want and work it, you know, get through permits and everything seems to take about a week, Yeah, you know, so it's just really... Uh, learning to be patient and, you know, you kind of bite your nails because you don't want to lose a spot, but it, yeah, it's part yeah. of the game. It's part of the game. Um, I will say a, a definite, very specific thing, if anyone's ever interested in, in doing this, which is kind of an insane project trying to open a place, but um, the biggest thing that caught us off guard, but we really lucked out with, was the sales tax deposit. And that's going to depend probably from city to city, state to state. But in our case... Initially, when you're setting things up, you've got to set up a sales tax deposit. And on the website, um, the state website, they will often tell you to estimate it based on businesses around you. Mm. So for us, the initial quote for that was $12,000. And that's something that you're expected to pay and that you're not going to get back until your place goes under. (laughs) What? (laughs) So you will never never see that money again. However, we lucked out in that we we got hooked up with an accountant. And we had a meeting with her before we ever filled out any of the paperwork um, on the website. And that's the very first thing she asked about was, uh, she said, have you paid your sales, you know, state sales tax deposit? We're like, no, you know, it ended up being this much. So we're going to wait till we get the loan. And uh, she said, don't, don't pay that. If uh, the minimum that you can pay and get away with is $500. (laughs) So just do that. And she's like, the biggest mistake is people do not talk to their accountant first. So Mm. that's one of the, the, the weird ones that we had no idea of getting into. Um, and sure enough, other bar owners that we've talked to and related this story to have been like, yeah, we lost $9,000. We didn't know about that for months, you know, but that goes Uh, against the sales decks that you have to pay in the future. Yeah. Not no, no, it doesn't. It's just <laughs> it's it's ridiculous. It's just a deposit, oh, um, and the accountant will know you know more about that. But I'd say early on, I was skeptical about you know meeting with an accountant before we're even up and going. But man, saving that chunk of change made her more than worth it. Yeah, so <laughs> sure. it's one of those little lessons that you know we would have had no idea about. Jeez, but it's a tough yeah. thing because each. Each step, uh, it's like a ladder. You, you know, each step you take is re- you have to make a step before that to, to get to that level, right? So yeah, that's, no, that's exactly uh, <laughs> right. That's exactly right. And it's going to depend from state to state too. Uh, you know how the banks w- will work with you. We're lucky in that right now um, banks want to um, diversify in our town, so they're actually seeking out um, younger restaurants. And that was not the case. A few years ago, um, mm-hmm. banks didn't want to touch restaurants in this town because, you know, they're going to be more likely to uh, get their money back on like an apartment complex or something like sure. that. You know? Yeah. Um, so we're lucky in that respect. And that's going to depend geographically for people. When I was down at Tails, you know, people were talking about setting up bars in New York. And the hard fact of it is you got to know people with money or you have to have investors or you have to have a, you know, quite a bit tucked away, you know, if you're going to be able to pull it off. So, yeah. And New York City does not make it easy for you, I tell you. Yeah, right. <laughs> right. Sure. <laughs> so uh, that was your first time at Tails, right? Oh, it was excellent. Yeah, yeah. it was so much fun. Yeah, wasn't it amazing? Very... It's, it's, it's such a neat atmosphere. Yeah. Um, and I, I'd heard about it 
only in the last probably year or so, and then I heard um, you talking about it quite a bit on the podcast, and I started asking around other people, you know, if anyone had gone to it. No one that I knew in town here had ever gone to it, so uh-huh. we got a small group together and went down, and geez, we had a blast. Yeah, it's it amazing, isn't it? Did you go to uh, seminars? Uh, we did. Um, we went to, you know, for us, because we're, we're just opening up, we went to some of the tastings, um, some of the scotch tastings. There was a specific seminar for that. Uh, I really liked building your team and apprenticing. Mm. I think uh, Dushan Zarek. Oh, yeah. Uh, I spoke to somebody else who went to that one and said it was great. Yeah, it was really cool. It was really neat. And there was another one, Bars Built to Last, um, where they, you know, it was people that had had bars for over 10 years, you know, talking about the tricky parts of, you know, starting one up and the tricks they learned along the way. Those, those were both extremely helpful. Yeah. And uh, for anyone that hasn't gone to Tales, I think it's easy to get intimidated by something like this, especially when you've got people from all over the country who all know each other, um, you know, people that are celebrities among themselves in this cocktail world. In every instance, you know, I would go up nervously and kind of introduce myself. People were so welcoming and so yeah. so helpful. Really, Absolutely. really nice. Absolutely. It's, it's a neat community. Yeah. Well, it's, I mean, you know, our business is about hospitality. So, you know, yeah. and, and these, everyone there is truly hospitable. <laughs> yeah, no, very true. Yeah, it was, it was, it was a neat atmosphere down there. And, and New Orleans has that in their culture too. So that, that helps feed it as well. Yeah, no, you're exactly right. <laughs> we were looking, yeah. we were looking for some bar and we got a little, you know, we we're walking and got a little lost and, uh, Actually, a homeless guy came up and said, perhaps I could be of some assistance. <laughs> no kidding. <laughs> that's perfect. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Of course, I gave him a couple of bucks, but, you know. That's perfect, yeah. That, that's in their culture, you know. It's, it's such a cool thing. <laughs> well, what better city in the U.S., you know, to host that? It's, yeah, it's it's great. Absolutely. So, yeah, it's pretty uh, inspiring, too, right? Just, I mean, right. besides the things that you learn, it just... I mean, and I, I tell people who don't understand, it's like once you go, you want everyone to know about it, you know, you want right. everybody to no, experience definitely. it. I'm trying to get more and more people to go next year, you know, in a, in a perfect world, if, you know, when we get our place up and going, it's something we'd like to, you know, if we can't make it down, we would love to send some of the bar team down there, even some of the kitchen guys, because, oh, yeah. you know, why not? Everyone can learn something. It's, it's a really neat experience. Oh yeah. The girl I was sitting next to on the plane on the way down there, she was like, Oh yeah, our bar rented a house for us on Bourbon street. <laughs> like, <laughs> that's uh, fantastic. Nice. Uh, that's, yeah. you know, so yeah. what are you thinking with your uh, cocktail menu? What do you, uh, what do you got in mind? Um, we're going to, we are going to do some seasonal things. Um, I, I don't want to give too much stuff away right now, but, we really want to focus on um, the cor- the correct kind of ice that we're using. No, no place in town is doing that right now. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, if we do a, a variation, you know, on a cool little like um, even a Manhattan or something, uh, we want to have like the big ball of ice in there. You, you know, instead of like you know the the option of doing it neat or over rocks, really be able to present people with that like that large sphere. One of the early decisions that we made with our ice machine is that we decided to get the one inch by one inch solid cubes that nice. uh, Manitowic makes. And that's just going to make a big difference in, in and of itself. Um, what as far was the, as the, uh, if I could ask, what what's the difference in price between, you know, that machine and... and the, um, I wouldn't be able to tell you off the top of my head. I yeah. want to say it's probably around a thousand. Yeah. Um, and, it, and we're looking into whether or not we want to own it outright or lease it mm-hmm. early on. We're probably just going to lease it at first and see how it performs. Okay. Um, but I think those things will make a, a big difference. Um, so for our 60-seat restaurant, we're looking at probably six or seven specialty cocktails. 
um, to be on the menu and to rotate that every couple weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're just going to have to see, you know, what becomes popular, you know, maybe keep that one on there for a little while, maybe have it, you know, keep it as a regular spot. Yeah, um, I agree yeah, with that. I think, you know, eight or so, eight is enough. <laughs> right. You know, right. I don't think you well, need 25, 30 cocktails on Yeah, on I think it, it gets to be, it gets to be a lot. For the, and, you and know, it's maybe not down cost, the road. It's not cost efficient either to, you know, especially right. if you're making a lot of the whole bunch of different syrups and things that, you you know, you're putting out on the bar every night and they, you know, now they're at room temperature all day and, you, you know, they go bad. And, exactly. Uh, it's one thing if you're, you know, if, if you're in Manhattan and you're, you know, you're doing super high volume and, and, and people are, but I think, you know, that, that, that's what I usually do is about eight. Yeah. Well, and that way you can get some consistency going too, right? Especially yeah. early on is, is everyone behind the bars learning to work together, um, really learning, you know, just to make drinks in a similar style, the same way so that they're reliable, you know, and then maybe building up after that, you know, maybe someone will be like, Hey, you guys had this awesome cocktail a couple months ago. And if they describe it, then we, we can recreate it for them probably. You know? Well, sure. Yeah. You're not going to totally yeah. forget about the ones that you've made in the past, right. but, but, uh, but exactly. yeah, to, to present to the guest, I think, you know, and, and I would, it, it's not an easy thing to make a cocktail menu. I tell you, you know, you got to think no. about, this is going to appeal to a certain segment of people, you know, the, right. <laughs> you know, the ladies are going to love this one, <laughs> you know? Right. And, yeah. But, uh, it, and, uh, you know, it sounds like it might be a little healthy and not too, uh, too many calories in it, you know? And, <laughs> right. And, uh, yeah, I always look at it that way. Like you got eight cocktails. You're going to split that in two. This is, you know, this half is going to appeal to a certain amount of people. And then we're going to, you know, wrangle that down to two of these are going to appeal to a subset of that, portion of the people and you know um but it's 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 tricky to uh it's yeah it's not as easy as it sounds to make a cocktail menu right and it's you know i think with a lot of things it's it's balancing what you your own personal tastes are what you like in a drink and not letting that really dominate the menu you know saying well i love i love bitter drinks i love campari so all my cocktails are going to have you know i mean personally i would love to do that but i know know, here's my cocktail menu eight variations on the negroni right exactly um but you know it's just observing what kind you know what folks are coming in what they seem to like and you know being open to that yeah it's it's a it's a fun way to do it and i think you know, once, once you get past, you know, really trying to impose yourself too much on the menu, then it, you know, it, it makes for a better experience for people, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. All right. Well, this is so much fun. It was great to meet you. And, uh, yeah. we should talk again once, once you get the place open, I'd love to do this again. Cool. Yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll keep in touch. We'll give you a heads up. Yeah, please so do. Fingers, fingers crossed, man. Hopefully yeah. construction I'm, starts soon. I'm pulling yeah. for you, brother. All right. Thanks. <laughs> All right. All right. Take care, and Dan. Thanks again for the podcast. This is awesome. Oh Thank man. You. I appreciate it. Thanks, right. man. Cheers. All right. That was great. A couple of smart and determined dudes. Here's to you guys wishing you much success and prosperity. All right, remember to stay tuned to the very end of the show for our toast. Remember, you can find the show notes if you're looking for them on bartenderjourney.net and search for show number 127. You'll see the video of Mr. Dale DeGroff making a boulevardier, and uh, you'll see some other notes, uh, links to uh, some of the vermouths I was talking about and and Dad's hat, all the things I talked about. Hopefully, I'll uh, remember to put everything up on the show notes. So again, my name is Brian Vincent Weber. I'm glad you joined me today on the podcast. You can find the Facebook page for Bartender journey just search for bartender journey on facebook you can find me on twitter at bar keep tips 
Hey, if you can find your way over to iTunes and search for Bartender Journey, click on the Ratings and Review tab and uh, leave some stars. Five stars is the most you can give. And uh, you can also leave a comment. And it does help uh, the show. Uh, by uh, It helps other people find the show. It helps us move up in the ratings and uh, helps more and more people find the show. And uh, we always want to bring more and more people into our Bartender Journey community. Hey, coming up next week, uh, if all goes as planned, we're going to do an end-of-summer tiki party. I'll be talking to author Nicole Weston about her book, Tropical Cocktails for the Modern Bar, Tiki Drinks. And there's some great uh, classic tiki tiki recipes as well as some uh, updated new and uh, modern ones. And uh, there's also great recipes in there for for the syrups that you need uh, to make tiki drinks. And uh, it's a very nice, uh, pretty book. I'm looking at it right now. Good recipes. And uh, looking forward to speaking to her. All right, our toast. Here's to our friends who have seen us at our best and seen us at our worst and can't tell the difference. Cheers, guys. We'll see you next time on Bartender Journey.